Thank you so much, team. Thank you, Chuck. And may be seated. And I think we're having church this morning. What do you think? I'm really grateful for the Scott brothers and singing that song. You know, I couldn't help the tears coming. That was uh, one of my dad's favorite songs. And I remember when I was about 10 years old, I uh, went with my dad over to Illinois, visit my, his brother, sister-in-law, the family. They loved to sing old gospel songs. And I sat there and listened to them and listened to my dad as he let out that song when he reached down his hand for me. But my dad's brother, my uncle Port, though he loved to sing, he didn't know Christ. My dad prayed for him and prayed for him prayed for him. One summer when I was home for college, from college, dad said, son, we got to drive to Illinois. I want you to talk to your Uncle Bort. <laughs> I said, Dad. He said, no. He needs the Lord. So we drove to Illinois. Went to visit my Uncle Bort. His aunt, my Aunt Rachel, they were both in wheelchairs. And I opened up the Bible and talked to my Uncle Bort about Jesus. And there in that little farmhouse, Michael Port gave his life to the Lord. God reached out his hand, saved him. And my Aunt Rachel had a holiness celebration that only a Nazarene can have. <laughs> and she praised God all over that house in that wheelchair. But I remember that song and think about the Lord in his grace reaching down his hand and saving my Uncle Port. My dad and I, we drove back to Indiana. We sang Southern Gospel all the way, all the way. A priceless memory. Thank you the Scott brothers. Matthew 5. Will you turn there, please? Matthew chapter 5, passage that Don read for us. And we are in a series, if you're our guests or if you're watching online, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount and we are focusing on what it means to live out life in the kingdom. Life in the kingdom and this morning we're going to be listening to the king as he talks to us about what it means to be people who have kingdom credibility. Kingdom credibility. Many years ago, when I was in student ministry in Ohio, a man a few years, just a few years older than me, took me out for lunch. 
And we just sat down in the booth, and he said to me this. He said, say herbal life. I said, excuse me? He said, say herbal life. I said, okay, herbal life. He said, thanks. I'm, I'm a representative for herbal life, and I want to write off our lunch as a tax deduction. <laughs> Our conversation had nothing to do with herbal life. But then I remember this. Food came. And he said, let me pray for our meal. And he bowed his head and he blessed the food. Over a meal that really to him was a tax deduction. By having me say two words. I thought, I wonder what the Lord thinks about this prayer. What do you think the Lord, a few months later, thought about that tax exemption? I was just a young pastor then, and I would hope today that I would have said something to try to help that brother but I'd not thought of that lunch in years and years and years until this week when I was uh, looking at this passage, praying about this passage, about what the Lord says in His words about our words. The Lord's words about our words. That's the focus this morning. And we need to listen to the King and what He says in His words about our words. Now our text here is chapter 5. We're going to look at these verses. And the focus is our Lord, our King, wanting to make very certain that we as His followers are people with kingdom credibility. Because the kingdom has no credibility Unless the followers of the king have credibility. And we have no credibility unless our words have credibility. In a culture where, as Isaiah the prophet proclaimed 750 years before Jesus, he said, truth has fallen in the streets. I would say truth's in the gutter today, wouldn't you? Truth has fallen in the streets. But what are we to do? We are to be people of truth when it has fallen in the streets. If we are believers, then we must be believable. If we are people of the word, then we must be people of our word. Now, as we listen to King Jesus here on this subject, we need to make sure we understand his purpose, okay? Let's come back to the context of Jesus sitting on that hillside, speaking these words to thousands, thousands who've come to hear him. 
Let's make sure that we understand what Jesus is doing. What Jesus is doing here today would be called religious deconstructionism. What is deconstructionism? It is a, a word that is growing in its use. Here's the definition. Deconstructionism is a process whereby a person gives up the set of traditional beliefs that he or she wants held. That's what deconstructionism is. It's the process whereby a person gives up the set of traditional beliefs that he or she has once held. Now, Jesus here is deconstructing religion, not his religion. He is deconstructing a religion in that day, which is a religion of self-righteousness, making oneself right before God by works and efforts and by maneuvering to gain his approval. And friends, self-righteousness is not righteousness at all. If it's self-righteousness, then you're your own savior and it's just idolatry. That's what self-righteousness is. People who go to church thinking that's going to get them to heaven are idolaters. People who think by their good works, they're going to earn themselves what Jesus died to achieve and rose again. People who believe they can save themselves are practicing idolatry because they're their own redeemer. Their own God. This is what Jesus met in his lifetime as a rabbi. He came to his people. And immediately in this Sermon on the Mount, he begins to deconstruct generations of self-righteous religion. To bring people... To the Father in faith in the Son. Now, Jesus makes the same statement six times. Have you noticed this? Verse 21 and 22 You have heard that it was said, but I say. Verse 27, see that? Verse 28 You have heard that it was said, but I say. Verse 31 It was also said, but I say to you. Verses 33 and 34, again, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. Verses 38 and 39, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. Verses 43 and 44, you have heard it was said, but I say to you. What is Jesus doing here? He's deconstructing religion. That is not a relationship with God, but it is self-made, self-focused, self-righteousness. He is deconstructing it, saying, I know what you have been taught by the religious leaders and their traditions, but I say to you, 
He's speaking as one who has authority. The authority of God. And so Jesus' focus here, as he's deconstructing religion, is to focus in this section on religious formulas. Religious formulas so that people could make oaths. And yet, those oaths not really be binding (laughs) completely. And so Jesus starts with what was a huge part of religion in that day. The taking of oaths and the various kinds of formulas for taking oaths about what someone was promising to do or what they were saying. And so Jesus begins with the law's prohibition. What did the law prohibit? Verse 40, verse 33 rather, Jesus said, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now here he is referencing that there is a truth underneath all of this religious tradition. And the truth was that God commanded his people that they were not to bear false witness. That they were to be people of truth. But now notice the scripture said they were to perform their oaths calling God to witness. Do you see this? You shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. That oath that you have taken. That that swearing with an oath is calling God to witness. It's calling God to witness that something is true or something will be done. Now, here's here's the understanding. God made allowance for people taking oaths in the Old Testament. He, he made allowance for this, his, that they would promise something as to the Lord. For example, in Deuteronomy, you shall fear the Lord your God and serve him. And shall take oaths by his name. Now notice. The people in, the, in Israel were commanded to take oaths by the name of the Lord. Now why was that? It's because the Lord understands that we're sinners. <laughs> and as sinners, our words cannot be trusted at times because of our character and so there was a provision to affirm how truthful something was or how clear it was that it was going to be done to say a promise to take an oath in the Lord's name Many of the Old Testament believers made oaths to the Lord's name. Abraham made a, took an oath. Jacob 
took an oath to the Lord. David and Jonathan entered into a pact as blood brothers calling on the Lord in an oath of covenant. We're even told that God made an oath to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 22, verses 16 and 17, God said to Abraham, By myself I have sworn that I will bless you. And by the way, if you look at that carefully, that passage, God is saying, I swear I will bless you and this land in which you are now a foreigner, I am giving to your descendants. The land of Israel. So God took an oath. God can't swear by someone higher than himself. So he By his own name, he promised that he would do what he said. The purpose for providing for oaths was to accommodate sinful behavior because sinners are prone to deceit and lying. You could call it, it was an insurance against truth and lying. To call God to witness. To call on God for judgment if you are lying. But now notice again, though that was the Old Testament practice. A righteous practice. Notice Jesus takes the law. And what did Jesus say? I have not come to destroy the law. I have come to what? Fulfill it. Which means to fill it full. Of its ultimate meaning. And so he does so by giving a principle. I want you to see now the Lord's principle. There's the law's prohibition. Now here's the Lord's principle. The Lord's principle is found in Jesus' words, verses 34 and following. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Either by heaven, for it is the throne of God... Or by earth, for it is his footstool. Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Can anybody here along with me say that's amen to that? Can't be done. This can't. We need to understand what the Lord is saying when he says, I say to you, don't swear at all. Don't take an oath at all. We, we need to make sure we understand what he is not meaning. It can be misunderstood here if we're not careful. There are some religious groups, wrongly informed, I believe, who will not take testimony in court or they won't pledge allegiance to the flag because they believe they would be violating these words of Jesus. They hold to that in their heart. But I believe they're mistaken. That's not the meaning that the Lord is giving us here as is clear throughout the New Testament. We see that Taking an oath, making a vow to the Lord was was practiced also in the New Testament. 
and being placed under oath is referred to in the New Testament. Paul took oaths about what he was saying. God is my witness, Paul said several times, such as 2 Corinthians 1.23, 1 Thessalonians 2.5. God is witness. Paul was making a, an oath calling God to witness that what he was saying was true. We're told of an angel of God in the book of the Revelation chapter 10 verses 5 to 6 who stands and raises his hand to the one who sits on the throne and proclaims an oath that time will be no more but now everything which had been prophesied by God come to pass. We have an angel taking an oath. As a matter of fact, Jesus put himself under oath. (laughs) He stood before the high priest in the supreme court of the day. And the high priest, using the formula to put someone under oath, said to him, I adjure you by the living God, you tell us whether you are the Christ. And in that courtroom, under oath, The Son of God said, I am. I am. So what is Jesus attacking here? If he's not attacking, taking an oath in an affidavit or swearing into a contract, affirming that something you are saying before God that it's true if he's not if he's not dealing with that what is Jesus dealing with here listen carefully he's attacking the righteousness the self-righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes who had concocted all kinds of ways of sidestepping God's commandment against lying to your neighbor As long as God's name was not mentioned, it's not binding. This is what Jesus is getting at. <laughs> or he says, do you think you're going to get by this? Saying, I'll just take an oath by heaven. I won't mention God's name. I'll take an oath by the throne of God, but I won't mention his name. I'll take an oath by the earth, but... I won't mention God's name. I'll take an oath by Jerusalem, but I won't mention his name. I'll take an oath by my own head, but I won't mention his name. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying this. You cannot sidestep God's commands by your slick religious formulas. You cannot... Do what, in effect, we used to do. Maybe some of us as children, you remember you do this, you'd make a promise, and you had your fingers crossed. <laughs> you said you were going to do something. Well, I had my fingers crossed. <laughs> no, no, I saw your hands. Well, really, I had my toes crossed. <laughs> yeah, you know this. This is what 
This is what the religious leaders are teaching. As long as you don't mention God's name, you can make any promise. And it's like, if necessary, your fingers crossed. And here is King Jesus saying, listen, you cannot with your slick formulas sidestep God. Why? Because God is our life. God is the owner of everything. The earth is the Lord's. Jerusalem is the Lord's. You belong to the Lord. Your head belongs to the Lord. There's nothing you can mention that's not God's. Therefore, don't think you can sidestep God by just not using his name. Because God is our life. We cannot sidestep with clever words, cloak our motives. God knows. God knows. He knows what we say. Listen, he knows what we say. And even beyond knowing what we say, God knows what we mean. Jesus wants truth to control us. Why? Because God is truth. Our king is truth. His ways are truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And his followers, we are people of truth. Lifelong credibility. That's what the Lord is calling us to. You don't have to have fancy formulas to make someone believe you. Your life should be such that it's simply this, Jesus says, verse 37, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. If you have to concoct all kinds of motives or words that give you a little loophole, that comes from evil. He said you ought to be a person that your yes is sacred and your no is sacred. That's the lifelong practice. You have the Lord's prohibition. He teaches his principle. Now he says this should be your lifelong practice. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Recognize the sacredness of your conversations. Every conversation is sacred because you are the Lord's. And he is present at every conversation. God is interested in our conversation. In fact, every word of our mouths we should consider sacred. Why? Let's think about it. Number one, God hears all. <laughs> you don't just say a, a little, you know, a little nice phraseology and 
get your real motive underneath that. And God goes, oh, I I didn't get that. (laughs) Totally missed his motive. No. Mm -mm. God hears all. Sacredness of our words is so important for us to understand. I want to tell you, once the Lord gave me a lesson about this, I'll never forget. Don't want to forget it. My son Stephen, who's now 30, soon to be 31, hard to believe, in middle school, he was just one day or two giving us fits. Middle school. You know, someone has said, grandchildren are the gift for letting your children survive middle school. Okay. (laughs) And it had been a, a tense couple of days. And then he verbally attacked his mother. And I heard it. Whoa. I went into full bore mad dad syndrome. I I didn't, I, I didn't beat on him or anything like that, but I got in his face and I had a red face and I was letting him have it. I mean, I was literally just parting his hair with what I was saying to him. And while I was doing that, I heard a voice saying, Sam, Sam, Sam. And I thought, what in the world? It was coming from my front pocket. And about the time I'd got in my son's face, somehow, somehow, my iPhone dialed one of my closest pastor friends. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Heard the whole thing. (laughs) I I scheduled a coffee with him. It was quite interesting. (laughs) Seems like that coffee was served up with a lot of crow. But, you know, I thought about it. The Lord gave me a gift, a severe mercy. Because someone much more dear, much more precious, much more holy then my pastor friend heard that whole thing. God hears all. God records all. That's what Jesus said. God records all. Matthew 12, verse 36. Here's what Jesus said. I say to you that every idle word 
that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. I say to you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. Think about that. Thank God that our sins are forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ, right? Amen. But I want to tell you something. If you think standing before Jesus is going to be a Sunday school picnic, you are mistaken, my friend. Because what we've done, what we said, whether it is gold, silver, precious stones done in His name, said in His name for His cause, representing Him rightly, or whether it's been selfish, self-focused, wood, hay, or stubble. The Bible says God's going to wipe away all tears in heaven. And I think some of those tears are going to be from believers. Our speech, too, is being recorded in heaven. Not only recognizing here what Jesus is after. Listen, make sure you understand. What Jesus is dealing with is not just the sacredness of our words, the sacredness of our conversation. It's about the sacredness of our character. Amen. It, out of the mouth, what? The heart speaks. Let your yes be yes. Your no be no. Be credible. Because you know that your life is not your own. You're bought with a price. And therefore glorify God in your body, in your spirit. And yes, in your conversation. It's all God's. Your character. There's something to be said about the old statement about a man or a woman. His word is his bond. Her word is his bond, right? There's place for contracts. I understand that. Contracts have their place in our law. But as far as you or me, as we're concerned, when we've made a promise, it's a contract. I've told this story before over the years. And if the Lord lets me live, I stay here a few years more, you'll hear it again. Why? Because I like telling it. But it's got a great, great impact on me. One time, my brother and I went with dad to buy school clothes. And I, we got to go to men's town. I was so glad to graduate from Sears and Roebuck, J.C. Penney, and not have to go with mom, because mom would buy you jeans and say, you'll grow into them, and you'd go to first day of school walking like this. You remember this? Rolled up to about right there. Oh, how you survived that trauma, I don't know, but we did. But I got to go with dad and my brother, and we went to men's town. And I remember, got to go, 
me and my brother, and pick out our own school clothes. Put them on the counter, and my dad said to the young man behind the counter, I will sign for those. Put them on my tab. He looked at my dad like, what? He said, I'll, I'll just sign for them. Well, the young man says, well, excuse me. He picks up the phone, calls the manager back in his office, and I can hear the conversation. Hey, there's, there's a gentleman here, Mr. Luther Polson, that wants to sign for some clothing. And you know what I heard the manager say over the phone? Sell him the whole store. <laughs> I want to tell you, my dad was about six feet tall. He's about eight feet tall after I heard that. What did I learn? If my dad says he's going to do it, he signs his name, people know he will carry it out. Man, thank God for a father like that. Friends, our speech is a reflection of our character. We need to be, say, Lord, I can't do this apart from you, but by your grace, let me be a person who my yes is yes and my no is no. We don't need to call God as our witness. You don't have to raise your hand and call God as your witness because if you are truly wholeheartedly following the Lord, you know your conversation, your character is your witness. What is our witness? Our witness is our words. And if people can't trust your words, they can't trust your witness. And what is our witness about? Or should I say, whom is our witness about? It's not your witness. It's the witness of Jesus Christ. And if a person can't trust you, why should they trust your Jesus? If they can't trust you in everyday life, why should they trust you about eternal life? Our witness is about our king. And we want our witness to be like our king. <laughs> what was our king like? What was he like? In word and deed, what was he like? Well, listen to his closest disciple. Of all the disciples, the one closest to him, so close to him that Jesus gave his mother to his care even as Jesus was dying on the cross. John. Here's what John said 70 years after, maybe 60 years at least, after Jesus had returned to heaven. Here's what he said. John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of what? Grace. 
grace, and truth. What's his name? The Word. Why are our words so important? Because we represent the Word. What was the Word like? What was the Word of God? What's the heart of God in His Son Jesus? It is grace and truth. And so what kind of people should we be? We should be people who are conversation is full of grace, compassion, and mercy. But we always speak the truth in love. Amen. Both. Now this morning we've heard the deconstruction by Jesus. But as we close, I just say this. And I have been so compelled in my spirit. Last night I was not feeling well. I was running a fever. Chills. And I prayed, Lord, I believe this is a message you want me to deliver tomorrow. I ask you to touch me. Praise God. I woke this morning and he did. Here's what I want you to hear. Are you listening? This is the deconstruction by Jesus of false religion. But be very careful today of the deconstruction of Jesus. The deconstruction of Jesus. People who by their teaching are deconstructing the real Jesus, the historical Jesus, for a Jesus that's not Jesus at all. And they do it in the name of Christ. There is a statement today that's being made, and I thank God for it. I thank God for it. I use it regularly because I want to take people back to what it means to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, to follow Jesus in the way of Jesus. Just yesterday afternoon, I was sitting with my friend, Brandon. He's telling me of what God's been doing in his life. As I asked him about it, and I said, Brandon, you know, it all comes down to this, what it means to be a Christian. It means to follow Jesus with all your heart. Follow him as your Lord. Is that your testimony? He said, 100%. 100%. I like that. The way of Jesus. I love it. But listen to what I'm about to say to you, friends. How do we know the way of Jesus? The only way you know the way of Jesus is by the words of Jesus. Amen. That's the Jesus. The Jesus who said what he said. Everything he said. Recently my heart has been grieved. Listening 
to prominent leaders calling themselves evangelicals who talk about the issues that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. They talk about these issues with a whole new focus. Put the name of Jesus over it and never quote Jesus one time. I listened to a man for an hour talk about marriage, male, female, what marriage is, what unions God accepts, what unions God creates. And he talked all about Jesus and in one hour he never quoted Jesus one time. We do not have permission to create our own Jesus. His words are His way. And I want you to understand, we live in an age, and the thing that makes this age different, this generation different than others, is the amount of information. Voices. 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 And thank God for all those clear voices. But I want to say this. Beware of people who talk about following Jesus and never quote Jesus. People who talk about religion and they don't quote the Bible. And I want to tell you, you be very careful about podcasts and YouTube conversations and blogs where people quote everything about what it means to be a follower of Jesus than the quote Jesus. This is not the Jesus of the Bible. This is another Jesus. It's another gospel. It's another Christ. If it does not share the words of Jesus, it is antichrist. And it is in the church. And do not be deceived by the size of the following, the slickness of the presentation. You will know a false prophet not by what he says, but what he will not say. And people who pick and choose what Jesus said that they like and leave out what he said that they don't like. And people who try to drive a wedge between Jesus and his apostles are doing the very thing Christ condemned here. They're deceiving by trickery of words. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for letting me say that this morning. And I want you to understand, I say that as clear as I know how. Not everybody talking about Jesus is our Jesus. Not everybody talking about God knows him. How do you know the difference? They quote Jesus. Not their authority, his authority. 
They quote the word of God as their authority. They don't make themselves the authority. They don't make a philosopher the authority. They don't make some deep thinker the authority. And you can be a born-again Christian and be a philosopher and a deep thinker. I think Jesus is pretty deep, don't you? But my friend, listen to me. Judge your words. It's called God will. And make sure that your words are Jesus' words. And by the grace of God, we need to say, I will say what my master says. Truth in love. It is not unloving to tell somebody the truth. Lord, I pray for that utterance. And I believe it is from you. Lord, we need to be discerning about our words. Our words are sacred. And we need to be discerning about the words of people who say they speak for God. Or they speak for Jesus. Lord, may we listen for the words of Jesus. May we listen for the words of your holy apostles and prophets. For they teach us the way that we should go. Your word is truth. Amen. Forever settled in heaven. Amen. Send out your light and your truth. Amen. And let the words of our mouth, the meditation of our heart, be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, for you are our strength and our Redeemer. And we thank you for the gospel of Jesus. Lord, I thank you this morning that all the promises you have made, Jesus is the amen. He is the yes to all the promises. In Jesus, we have your yes. We bless you for that. Amen.